0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hello there. Welcome to Luke's English Podcast. This podcast is sponsored by italki. Go to teacherluke.co.uk forward slash talk in order to sign up for some lessons with an, with an online English teacher. And italki will give you 100 italki credits free in the form of a voucher voucher. That's nice, isn't it? It's always nice to get a voucher. So if you sign up through my URL and buy some English lessons with a teacher, then italki will send you a voucher worth 100 italki credits that you can use as a discount uh, against future purchases. That's not bad, is it? Oh, no, it's not. Right then. Now, let's get stuck into part two of this episode. And here we go. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, everyone. How are you doing? Welcome back to Luke's English Podcast. This is part two of a two-part episode. If you haven't already heard part one of this, Uh, then I suggest that you go back and listen to that first because it will provide you with all the right context. Don't listen to this without listening to part one uh, beforehand, okay? So uh, in this um, double episode, I'm talking to Rob Ager from CollativeLearning.com. And um, Rob is someone who... um, Spends his time these days making interesting documentaries about films. A lot of those videos that he makes go onto YouTube, and that's how I first discovered Rob. I think he, I think I, I think I first saw, uh, I think the first video I saw by him was um, his documentary about The Thing, uh, which is a classic John Carpenter horror movie uh, that was made in the 1980s. Um, And I remember just coming across. Uh, that video when I was just on YouTube one day, probably about five or six years ago. And I found it really interesting because the video basically was a sort of commentary um, about all these little details about the film that I hadn't noticed before. And um, one of the things that Rob Agar is able to do is... uh, uh, focuses attention on specific details in the film. For example, it could be a little a prop here, or a set design feature here, or a certain aspect of the production, or maybe a certain thing that the director chose to do, even sound effects and everything really. He's able to analyze films in a very sort of uh, down to earth way, and um, he creates these videos which are very interesting and engaging. Um, And uh, so I thought that he would be a good person to talk to because um, I love talking about films. It's one of my favourite subjects. So I thought that uh, uh, I might be able to have an interesting conversation with Rob. Also, he's from Liverpool. um, And uh, that's interesting for this podcast because uh, I like to present different regional accents from around the UK for you to listen to. So in this one, um, you're listening to someone with a a Liverpool accent. OK, now um, what happened in part one? uh, We talked about Liverpool a bit. We talked about Rob's background uh, and also some of the details as to uh, how come he knows so much about films and where his kind of analytical approach has come from. Um, And at the end of part one, you heard me ask Rob which film uh, really struck a chord with him, meaning films that really made an impression on him. Um, And it's at this point that we start to talk about movies in a lot more detail and uh, Rob names a few films that you should probably know about. Uh, I'm not going to mention every single title he mentions, but I will just uh, explain a couple of things about certain movies that you should know before listening to the rest of this conversation, Um, especially uh, the work of Stanley Kubrick. Um, So Rob is going to talk about a few Kubrick films. He uh, talks mainly about The Shining, And uh, another film called 2001, A Space Odyssey. And uh, according to the Wikipedia uh, encyclopedia, Stanley Kubrick was an American film director, screenwriter, producer, cinematographer, editor and photographer. Part of the new Hollywood filmmaking wave, Kubrick's films are considered by film historian Michael uh, Ciment. I think that's how you say his name. Anyway, Kubrick's films are considered by this historian as uh, among the most important contributions to world cinema in the 20th century, and he's frequently cited as one of the greatest and most influential directors in cinematic history. His films, which are typically adaptations of novels or short stories, cover a wide range of genres and are noted for their realism, dark humour, uh, unique Cinematography, Extensive Set Designs, and Evocative Use of Music. Um, so the two films that uh, Rob is going to mention, as I said, are The Shining and 2001 A Space Odyssey. Basically, The Shining is an adaptation of a Stephen King uh, story. And uh, the movie stars Jack Nicholson. And it's basically about a writer who goes with his uh, small family to go and live in a hotel Um, so that he can escape all the distractions of the world and focus on the novel that he wants to write. And while uh, staying in the hotel, uh, he kind of goes crazy. The isolation of the hotel and the conditions that they live in in this big old building cause uh, the Jack Nicholson character to go crazy, basically. Um, That's probably all you need to know. Um, And it's noted for What it's noted for the clever for the for the way that the film is directed and the way that uh, Kubrick managed the set design and the uh, the general direction of the film. Okay, Uh, the other film is 2001: A Space Odyssey, which you probably know. Let's be honest, and it was an incredible, incredibly ambitious and remarkable film, set mostly in space, and basically it's about uh, a space mission that kind of goes wrong. I'm not going to say much more about it than that. Most of you probably have seen it, but essentially it was a kind of um, a groundbreaking um, uh, movie set in space. And it, was, um, it came out in the 1960s around the same time as the moon landing occurred. So that's just a little bit of background information about some of the films that uh, you're going to hear us talk about now. Uh, and I will now um, let you get back to the conversation. So here we go. There are probably films that you saw which you thought about a lot, or which you discussed yeah. a lot with other people before you started making films. That
1: yeah, I mean, when I was a kid, uh, the the movies that really stood out to me was uh, Alien and The Shining, which, as I mentioned, I saw at seven years of age. Both of those movies just blew me away as a kid. Yeah, my um, uh, Backs to the Road Warrior just uh-huh. stunned me when I was uh, about ten years old, nine or ten years old um still my favorite film today blade runner i had a like a lot of people i had went through a blade runner obsession phase in my teens um yeah i mean those those ones definitely played on my mind from the from the day i saw them right up to today they still uh, are fascinating to watch yeah
0: what was it about for example alien that that so interested you (laughs) Ooh. <laughs> it's a big question, isn't it?
1: Well, this is the thing: is uh, with these movies, I often didn't know what fascinated me. Uh, I mean, Space Odyssey was another one that, uh, that fascinated me as well. I saw that in my early teens, and I was just fascinated with it for years. And I had absolutely no idea why I was fascinated with it. Mm. I just knew that it triggered something subconsciously, you know. Yeah. Uh, and it was only um, it was with Alien and The Shining, which. Uh, uh, around about uh, 2006, uh, I'd made a few short films of my own, and I, I was just trying to enhance my directorial skill. Yeah. And I thought, well, you know, study the masters, study the movies of the masters. I wanted to master shot composition. So I started studying uh, Alien and The Shining uh, for shot composition. Yeah, uh, I was particularly interested in The Shining at the time because there was a hell of a lot of wide shots mm-hmm. um, and, you know, those amazing... Uh, Steady cam shots and so on. I, I was I was particularly interested in the way Kubrick framed the shots mm. because I, I was never able to understand why that film had scared me so much as a kid. Because yes. it's, it's all well lit, uh, there's no cobwebs, there's no jump scares, um, but yet the film scared the hell out of me, and I was I was determined to find out why. Yeah. Um, you know the sort of early conclusions I came to about that when I started studying and tr- actually actively trying to break the movie down was that uh, the idea that the, the big, huge sets made the characters look small and vulnerable, uh, like like little children, and the emptiness of the place. Obviously, it was a very lonely place. Uh, you could be lost in and chased by a predator. You know, just basic observations.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: so, yeah, that, that, that started... The understanding of The Shining started to kick in for me there. And as I was doing that, I started to notice all the Native designs in the sets. Yes. Um, and then that connected up with the dialogue about Natives early in the film. Mm. And I was like, hey, uh, is Kubrick making a statement here about Native genocide? What's, mm. what's going on here? So that, that got me triggered off on that. And So, like I say, that was an accident. I didn't expect to find that there. I was just studying the pattern shot compositions and the, the set designs.
0: Yeah. Okay. And
1: uh, yeah, and there's the same thing happened with Alien. You know, it was, uh, the the best trauma. I started noticing all those details and that. And once I picked up on those things in those two films, then everything the everything else just came after that. You know, I started studying lots of films in detail.
0: Right, I see. Okay. Now, you do go into a lot of depth when you're analysing your films, and um, some people might say, you know, they, they might not agree. They might think, it's just a film, you know, don't analyse it too much. Yeah. Um, do, do you ever get that? Do you ever get comments from people oh, saying, oh, come on, it's just a movie?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I actually say it to other people at times as well, because uh, there, there are some uh, film studies on YouTube um, which I consider to be, utterly ridiculous yeah um, you know i mean in particular you, you see the, the type of thing a lot where there'll be somebody with an anonymous account who posts endless videos saying that this movie is about the masons this one's about the illuminati and it's always the same theory slapped onto every movie that the the, the, the person reviews you know right. and with those people i feel as much frustration with them as anybody else would with my work
0: right okay um,
1: well, one thing I would say that I think differentiates my work from those kinds of people um, is, well, first of all, the sensory uh, verifiable thing that I talked about earlier, where a lot of the things I'm talking about, you can actually verify in the details or you know. Mm. Um, but another aspect is that if you look at all of my film studies across the board that I've done, everything from Revenge of the Nerds right through to the Axis system, everything in between. Yeah. What you'll find is that it, there is not a consistent thread of what I find in the movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I was one of the crazy conspiracy types, then I would be seeing the same things in every movie. But right. well, it's not the case. Uh, I mean, I, I've done studies of um, Hitchcock's Psycho, and for that one i had a Freudian interpretation, even though I'm not particularly fond of Freudian psychology in itself. Yeah, but That seemed to be what inspired... Um, Hitchcock, and so therefore that's what I studied, and that's what I saw in the movie. Right. But then if, if I go and study a movie like uh, Scorsese's version of Cape Fear, I have a religious interpretation, even though I'm not religious.
0: Yeah, you may well have a point because you know Scorsese often plays with uh, you know religious faith in his films, doesn't he? It's one of those oh, yeah. themes.
1: Well, he actually admits it about Cape Fear, I and mean, that's one of the rare instances where uh, a theme which. Pretty much every critic missed was actually admitted openly by the director. Uh, it was in an interview with Barry Norman, a uh-huh. uh, famous film critic. I'm sure you remember him. I do, I do yeah. Uh, yeah, Scuff says he was on the show with uh, Barry Norman, and he openly stated that the Max Cady character in the film is the angel of God sent down to test the family. Wow. And if you look at the movie, it's all over the place. The clues are everywhere, and all of the critics missed it.
0: Wow, wow, wow. It- So a lot of your videos are about these kind of hidden themes or hidden messages within films. Do you think that directors often add hidden messages into films?
1: Yes, uh, both consciously and subconsciously. Um, Not all the time. I mean, well, different directors do it with different levels of sophistication. Mm. Uh, I mean... Some directors are just so basic that they just follow the dialogue that is written in the script, and the visuals are all just incidental. Yeah. And everything is just about getting the actor to say the lines in an an emotionally evocative way. Yeah. That's the standard interpretation of what a director does. Um, And then you you get right through to the likes of Kubrick and Hitchcock, who would personally select... uh, obscure props themselves mm-hmm.
0: um,
1: and would specifically demand certain types of set designs and would get heavily involved in the editing. That's a whole new level of directing, right. uh, which unfortunately I think has been, is um, largely been lost because the, the power has been taken away from directors a lot by the film industry. Uh, directors have basically been, for the most part, reduced to people who shout action and cut. Yeah. Uh, and just ask the actors to alter their expression a little bit, and everything else is just done by numbers by the rest of the crew. Right. Um, <laughs> I, I, I bit, for me, that barely even qualifies as directing. Or
0: yeah, they're they're more just like managing the the, the process. Just like you know, they're like more like technical directors rather than artistic directors.
1: Yeah, yeah. But even even technically, they're being carried by other people on the crew. Right. I see. Well, um, I mean, what you know. Partially an answer to the kinds of people who say, oh, there's no hidden meanings in the movies. It's not just hidden meanings. A lot of it is, um, I I think movies tap into uh, a certain subconscious language. Uh, I mean, there's a narrative subconscious language. I mean, I've got a daughter who's almost three years old. Mm. And I'm absolutely fascinated watching her play with her toys, Mm because she's she's got these little animal figures and these little uh, men and women figures and she makes up stories with them and has them interact with each other and it is absolutely clear watching her that she is developing her understanding of the world by creating stories with these toys Mm. Uh, and she's expressing her understanding of how human behaviour works how people interact and what is expected and what is not expected and so on yeah. Um, so that that's how crucial narratives are, uh, fictional narratives are in people's understanding of the world. And books and movies and plays tap into that that language. We all uh, have that going on inside as a, a means of understanding the world.
0: Absolutely, I think it also is an important consideration for for people learning a language that um, we yes. just, we perhaps don't realise the the frequency with which we tell stories when we are communicating ideas. And, um, like, for example, I teach at university and my students have to give presentations. I give them like, you know, just presentation topics about like American history and stuff like that. And, um, it's amazing to me. There's like, I guess this, there's like the good presentations and the bad presentations, right? And Mm. the the bad presentations, it's basically like Wikipedia in the form of a presentation. Yeah, It's like just the information laid out. Um, without any interpretation of the event, the events, no, no suggestion that certain events are more or less important than others. And yeah. as a result, the, the information is not transferred. No one cares. Like immediately with, within the first five minutes, you know this presentation is not going to be a success because yeah. no one is going to absorb the information. Whereas the good ones, they managed to find a way of turning the whole topic into some sort of story yeah, you know, with a yeah. beginning, a middle and an end, with character development, with individuals that we relate to, and with motivations and, and consequences and things like that. And if you, can, if you can do that, if you can somehow grab people's attention, take them on a little journey where they learn something, something at the end, that's how ideas get communicated far Absolutely. more effectively.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's, a, that's an excellent summary, yeah. I mean, funnily enough, that actually ties into part of the way that I structure my, um, my videos is I try and take the, the viewer on the same journey of discovery that I went through when studying the film. Yeah. So often, at the, you know, I get people say to me sometimes, why don't you just come out and state your conclusion at the beginning of the video? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, no, that's not going to work because I need to take you on the journey that I went through. So I'll start off by exploring how the critics initially understood the film. I'll, I'll talk about my initial experience of the film, and then I'll gradually start to introduce things and say, oh, well, what also notice this discrepancy in the plot these strange details in the in the the sets and so on and then gradually bring the audience to the same conclusion that i came to and i i think that's something that's probably helped the videos a lot as well
0: Yeah. yeah yeah absolutely um what what is the most mysterious film in your opinion
1: well years ago i would have said 2001 a space odyssey
0: uh-huh. Uh, but I studied
1: that one to death and did a, a, a an analysis of it, which I, th- I think captures a lot. I'm quite confident that I've hit upon a lot of things in that movie. Um, other movies, uh, well, funny enough, at the moment, I've been getting a lot of requests from people saying, Barry Lyndon, you know, the Kubrick film. Barry Lyndon. Because yeah. people are saying to me, you've done studies of everything from Doctor Strange Love right through to Eyes Wide Shut. And the one that's missing in the middle there is Barry Lyndon. Why have you not done it? And my reasoning has always been um, that, hey, Barry Linden's like three hours or something, you know, it's such a long movie mm. um, that, you know, and it usually takes me months to do a really in-depth study of a particular Kubrick film. Um, I mean, Eyes Wide Shut took me about two and a half months just working on that one film analysis. Wow. Um, and there's probably still more I could find in it. Yeah. Um, but uh, I have been studying Barry Lyndon in a bit more detail lately, and I have found it quite cryptic. Uh, Even though I've done all these studies of other Kubrick films, I'm a bit confused by Barry Lyndon because I'm not sure if it's just me missing the point, but I I think what Kubrick might have done there with that movie is after the uh, controversy around The Clockwork Orange, which was the movie he made before Barry Lyndon... Uh, Kubrick got attacked a lot in the media for the clockwork or engineered death threats and he withdrew the movie from British circulation yeah. um, and I think part of the reason that that happened was because the film was so openly anti-establishment I mean, never mind any hidden details and just the plot of the movie itself mm. was a big up yours to the, the establishment um, and I think that that may have scared Kubrick a little bit at the time And I think with Barry Lyndon, he may have settled down to a more straightforward narrative approach to film. There are still some hidden elements in the film that I've detected, but not as complex as his other movies, as far as I can tell. I could be wrong about all this. I may find that there's all kinds of of other stuff in there. Mm. Uh, so yeah, Barry Lyndon's a bit of a confusing one at the moment.
0: Okay, well, I, I look forward to seeing what you yeah. uh, what you produce in response to that one. What about more recent films? Have you seen any of the, the, the recent, for example, superhero films? Did you see uh, Batman versus Superman or any of the Marvel output lately?
1: No, I, I tend to avoid them. I think the last um, movie of that kind that I watched was uh, Iron Man 3, and that's going back a while. Yeah. Uh, and I have to say, I quite enjoyed Iron Man 3. I thought it was a really ballsy film. Uh, you know, I mean, all that stuff about the Bin Laden character turning out to be an actor and stuff, I was right. like, oh Very <laughs> funny.
0: Very funny performance by uh, Ben Kingsley, right?
1: Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, I mean, I, that's the thing is I love the the superhero films that, that have got a humour.
0: Yeah. You
1: yeah, know, I'm a traditionalist. I like I like the Hellboy films. I think they're fantastic. Mm. Um yeah, and uh, the, the old Superman films, the first few Superman. Yes, I actually like Superman 3 as well. Um, <laughs> I'm one of the rare people who likes it. Um, it's got but, Richard Pryor in it. That's not bad. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's, he's, he's just golden in that movie, isn't he? Yeah. Um, but also, uh, recently, a lot of movies are being produced in a, a manner which pleases the propaganda interests of the investors. Okay. And yet, yeah. at the same time, the filmmakers themselves are trying to... Uh, pull the wool over their eyes and put hidden messages in and get their own ideas out into the world. And after all, that's what Kubrick did with uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey. It was a space race propaganda movie, if you look at the investors. Right. And then it turns out Kubrick just fooled them all and did his own thing with it. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: but the difference is that Kubrick did it with fantastic originality and the messages were original. Something I'm seeing a lot in movies released today is that, yeah, so, you know, some of them do have. Um, uh, subtle themes hidden in them, but the themes are not really anything new. Right. Um, I was trying to think of an example of that uh, off the top of my head. Um...
0: I, 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 like, I like watching these films, but I don't think that they're great. You know, I, I, I don't know if I'm twisted in this way, but I like to watch terrible Hollywood output just for the fun of it. Um, like, for example, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the Taken series with Liam Neeson. Not because I,
1: I, I've kind of enjoyed the first one. The, the, okay. the, the
0: first one is actually really clever because I don't know how they managed to do it, but they made this film which was like deeply questionable on a moral level. I think.
1: Oh so bloody right, it was. Yeah. Uh, <laughs>
0: and yet somehow it's almost impossible not to be carried away by the events and to somehow be rooting for the character this guy who, who just, you know, sort of uh, breaks all of these laws and uh, kills people without any sort of question. And he, you know, it's a bit like the Death Wish movies. I um, was
1: just going to say it reminds me of the Death Wish movies, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if you've seen, but, I um, well, actually, I haven't put it on YouTube, but... I actually did a study of Death Wish 2 and the controversy around the film yeah. and that video I think is two and a quarter hours long <laughs> so much going on around that one movie that has got such a bad reputation um, yeah there, there are a lot of heavily commercial uh, morally questionable films that, mm. that I enjoy in a similar way but what I what find difficult with these superhero movies is the heavy reliance on cliché and
0: uh-huh.
1: um, like, for example, in, in the Iron Man films and in a lot of other superhero films, yeah. you get this repeated visual uh, instance of, oh, a hero character jumps in the air mm-hmm. high and then slams on the ground with one fist on the ground and one knee up in the air. Right. And I'm like, why do all of these movies have the character do that? Yeah. You know, don't, 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 don't the filmmakers ever say, well, hold on, let's have them pose in a different way? Yeah. You know, when the, 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 the robbing of uh, cliches from other movies is becoming so repetitive and so obvious, de- then it really starts to annoy me. Mm. Um, unfortunately, a lot of the superhero films today have reached that level of uh, plagiarism of other uh, superhero movies, which in, cel- which in turn are also plagiarisms, that I, I'm actually getting to
0: the point where I find a lot of those films are unwatchable. Yeah, it's almost like uh, there are not really any new ideas anymore. They're just people are just playing games with existing ideas.
1: Yeah, with the same old ideas. And no matter how sophisticated you get, if it's the same ideas, what's the point, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think what the film industry needs is new thinkers. It needs people who've got, actually got a different interpretation of the world and a di- different interpretation of cinema uh, to what we normally expect. Mm. Uh, and I, I suppose there are people out there who are pushing the mould a little bit. Um, what's his name? The uh, Made the Master. What, what was his name?
0: Uh, the, the Master
1: Paul uh, Thomas Anderson. Oh, okay, yes, yeah. I mean, Paul Thomas Anderson, I think he's got uh, an intelligence and a, he's got his own view of the world. Um, and even though his movies are set in different areas, there are definitely thematic crossovers between them. Right. Um, and I was really pleased when I watched The Master because. I was already familiar with a lot of the Scientology stuff because I'd read some of the biographies on L. Ron Hubbard.
0: Oh, yeah. Um,
1: and I was noticing all kinds of details in that movie that tied into Scientology um, and aspects of Scientology. and um, Yeah, that, that made me think, hey, this, this guy's actually thought about this stuff. He's actually gone and done some research and he's not copying anybody, anybody else, you know?
0: Yeah. I haven't seen The Master, actually, and I forgot that it was, about, it was basically about Scientology.
1: Yeah, the, the director denies it, of course, but I mean, given the way Scientologists attack people, it's understandable.
0: Yes. You know, there's. Uh, I guess you've seen that there's going to be a, a Louis Theroux documentary about Scientology. Oh, God. Oh, I'd love to see that. Yeah, it's going to come out soon, apparently. I cannot wait to see that. I think he's amazing. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you about... Um, uh, uh, the Shining. You, you mentioned it a few times already, and yeah. uh, and since we're talking about hidden messages and sort of interpreting films in various ways, um, I've I've seen some stuff on the internet which suggests that uh, Stanley Kubrick is uh, subliminally or in some other way trying to tell us something about the moon landing. well uh, yeah, right. You must be you must be aware of this theory. Yeah,
1: and I'm, I'm, I'm. Oh god, I've had I've had endless people emailing me and asking about it and and so on could you um, could,
0: could you just sort of try and explain what's the connection or uh, what's the connection between the shining uh, uh, um, Stanley Kubrick and the the moon landing
1: Danny's sweater basically
0: Danny's <laughs> Danny's sweater like the sweater Danny's
1: that I where he's got he's got the the, the rocket on his sweater and uh, apart from that I can't see any moon landing references in the shining uh-huh. um, I'm I'm quite aware of a lot of the uh, detailed rumors that are going around and I've Uh, it's funny enough I've actually got it on my to-do list uh, to make a video on that subject which is going to be ironically coming from me is going to be a movie to say that look this message isn't in this movie
0: no yeah um The, people seem to think, right, that uh, that Kubrick. Okay, the, I guess the conspiracy theory is if we if we we need to describe what the conspiracy theory is right here. Yeah. it's that um, people well, say. We even, sorry, we
1: don't even need to describe it as a conspiracy theory. I mean, we get we get third conspiracy theories in the newspapers yeah. every day. Yeah and we believe them you know so right. I, it's it's not the fact that it's a conspiracy theory that's a problem mm-hmm. it's just to me it's just the fact that it's wrong <laughs> it's just not um, it's just not yeah, true go ahead. You, you, you outline what you were going to say
0: well i was gonna i was gonna say i mean if we describe it as a conspiracy theory or it's like you know some some theory that um some it's people an have an interpretation of 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 events shall we say yeah. Because um, it extends beyond just the, the movie, you know. I mean, the, I'm just talking about the whole idea that the, the moon landing never actually happened. Yeah. And some people believe that um, we never landed a man on the moon and that NASA faked the entire thing and yeah. uh, that it was all filmed on some studio somewhere. And in, yeah. f- and in fact, um, the N- NASA employed, or whoever it was, the CIA or whatever, employed Stanley Kubrick to direct... The footage that we yeah. now see as being evidence of, of the fact that they landed on the moon. And so uh, all, then some people interpret some aspects of The Shining as being a hidden message from Stanley Kubrick to the world saying, AR, hey, look, look at this, right? Yeah. It's not, you know, I directed the moon landing footage. It's all a big joke. Or not yeah. a big joke. It's all a big, you know, hoax. Um, yeah. So... Uh, that's that's the theory. Um,
1: but can, can I just ask uh, what details have you seen in from the in, you know uh, the, the people who are putting forward that idea? What detailed aspects of the shining do you think carry the most weight? I, I mean, I've already I, mentioned Danny's sweater.
0: Yeah, I don't really remember Rob because um, I just remember reading about it a bit and just sort of casually sort of seeing some videos about it. I don't have like a full case. In my head, I mean, personally, I'm skeptical about 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 that particular idea. Um, I I I would say that we did land on the moon. Um, I think it's not as extraordinary as people would suggest. You know, you just get get a rocket, uh, fill it full of explosives, point it at the moon, press press go. Uh, i don 't know anyway, I think we landed on the moon that 's what i 'm saying, yeah. and I think that it wasn 't directed by kubrick um, but i just i 'm quite curious about you know all of these ideas that that you know people have. I find them extraordinary and fascinating i can 't remember all the specifics that people have given about the film I, yeah. I I remember that danny the the little boy in the movie, is wearing a sweater which appears to have uh, an image of of an Apollo. Uh, spacecraft on it um, and various other things I don't really remember the other stuff yeah I mean
1: to me that's always been the only one in the movie Um, I mean some of the various other things that have popped up I mean I I am familiar with some of the details people say oh room 237 the the room number was changed to 237 from whatever the original number was in the the novel Mm. Um, and they say oh Kubrick did that because the earth is 237,000 miles from the moon right and it's not. If you go and read up on it, the moon actually alters its distance between the, you know, from the Earth during its cycle, so right. it doesn't have a fixed distance. Yeah. Uh, and even if you look at the literature, it doesn't say that the average distance from Moon to Earth is two hundred and thirty-seven thousand miles, and the distances differ depending on whether, whether you measure them from the center of the Earth to the center of the Moon or right. the surface of the Earth to the surface of the Moon.
0: Yeah.
1: So that in itself. Uh, the the two hundred thirty seven thousand miles thing is just categorically wrong.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, I even saw somebody trying to justify that by saying, "Oh, but back when The Shining was made, at that time all of, all of the textbooks said that it was two hundred thirty seven thousand miles away." Well, I went and checked up on that and read up. I, I found some uh, PDF copies online of some old uh, space books, you know, that were. Produced before yeah. China was, and they didn't have it as two hundred and thirty-seven thousand miles. So you know, to me, that's one example of where it's categorically wrong. And um, you know, there, there was somebody. Uh, one of the things was that oh, the uh, room number two, three, seven. Room number mm. n o. Uh, that's an anagram of moon room, but it's not because there's an o missing. You <laughs> know, room number has three o's, and um, moon room has four o's. You know, it's just absolute uh, nonsense when people start getting into oh, two plus three plus seven equals this, and, yeah. and blah blah blah, uh, then it becomes like countdown. If you get Carol Vodeman involved, you can <laughs> come up with any interpretation you want. That I mean, it, numerical uh, calculations uh, of that kind of nature I've always avoided in my film analysis stuff, yeah. Um. And anagrams as well, I avoid, just because you can find what you want so easily if you're good at it. Yeah. Um, and what else? Oh, yeah, there was another one that, that was saying that um, in Jack's manuscript uh, on his desk, the word all uh, says Apollo 11, A-1-1. Huh. And it does look like that, A-1-1. Yeah. But it's just... A, it's the courier font, the standard courier font that was used in typewriters. The L looks like a one anyway. Yeah. And the people who put out those interpretations that I've seen online had not identified that it was a standard courier font. Right. You know, but, they're not inter- but
0: they're not interested in doing that, are they? They're interested in finding clues that will support their their idea. It's just it's confirmation well, bias. Yeah.
1: Well, the thing is, you don't just get that from conspiracy theorists. You get it in politics. You get it in religion. Mm-hmm. You yeah. get it in the newspapers every day. You get journalists distorting things to their own personal uh, biases. Yeah. This goes on all the time. It's not unique to conspiracy theorists. Yeah. In fact, I would say we all do it. I probably do it as well. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I've no doubt that I do. I, I think every human being does it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but that just happens to be an interpretation of the shining that I strongly disagree with. However, I will say that. Um, Kubrick himself was very distrusting of uh, the establishment. That's absolutely clear Uh, when you look at Dr. Strange, Love and Eyes Wide Shut and things like that. Mm -hmm. He had a problem with uh, high political authority. Um, And so I think that in itself lends itself to the idea that, oh, Kubrick was exposing the moon landings or so on. Uh, And it could be that Kubrick himself believed that the moon landings were fake. That was possible. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've noticed uh, the the movie AI, Artificial Intelligence, directed by Spielberg, but conceived by Kubrick over the course of about 20 years. Uh, And I've actually got a a copy of a big book here that's got a lot of the conceptual sketches for the AI film. Uh, And these sketches were given to Spielberg, and basically Spielberg was told, this is how I want the movie to look, when I have these kinds of images. And... In that movie, there's a fake moon, a moon balloon. Wow. I don't know if you remember the scene where the teddy uh, uh, and all the robots are getting chased in the forest at night. They're being
0: hunted down as scrap metal. I don't remember that bit.
1: Yeah, they're all being hunted down, and they get chased by a huge illuminated balloon which pops up over the horizon, and initially it looks like the moon. Yeah. And then when it gets higher, you realise, oh, that's not the moon. That's actually a fake moon. With a you know, so yeah. when you see something specific like that in a Kubrick uh, project, yeah, I find it easy to, to to go well. Hold on, yeah, maybe Kubrick himself did believe personally that the moon landings were faked, and maybe he did try and communicate that in one or two of his films. But I can't see it in the Shining, and I really don't think he'd be the, the type of guy to to go and fake a moon landing anyway. On their behalf, where if he did, he would sabotage it big time yeah because okay. he was anti well, he was, after, after dr strange love how could they trust him with a project like that
0: yeah exactly when he he revealed himself to be obviously so anti-establishment yeah he's not yeah. suddenly gonna if they you know if the guys go oh, mr kubrick uh, you know we uh, we looked at your work you're very good space movie stuff very good well done uh yeah. maybe you'd like to do this thing where you lie to the whole world uh just because it, it is what we want he's not going to be yeah. like oh, oh yeah all right then yeah he's, he's not going to do it is he
1: I mean, even with the Space Odyssey, when even like the early screenings of that for the producers and the, uh, the investors, you know, before the movie was actually released, mm. they were pissed off. They realized that, hold on, this guy's taking us for a ride here. We thought we were going to we, we get a movie that was, uh, you know, full on space race propaganda. And what he's done is created this weird high art thing that we just cannot understand. Uh, And the IBM executives weren't impressed because they noticed all the references uh, between Hal and IBM in the film. And they they were really annoyed and started asking Kubrick to remove references to IBM, uh, you know, from the movie because they were being represented as murderers. Um, So, yeah, I mean, you know, after Dr. Strangelove and 2001 A Space Odyssey, where he pissed off the establishment on
0: two fronts, they're going to trust him to film the moon landings? I don't think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> interesting We're though. About the swearing there, by the way. <laughs> uh, did you swear? I didn't notice. Oh, I said pissed off. Oh, pissed off's fine. Yeah, don't worry. Swearing's okay. Okay, it's, it's normal. Um, um, well, it's certainly very interesting to kind of speculate about these these things, and uh, and more than speculate. You know, you've you've seemed to have done lots of research into finding out. You know, specifics that other people, are, I guess, too lazy or. Not sort of uh, uh, curious enough to, to find out for themselves. Um, so well, it's look it's been it's been really great to talk to you, Rob. And you know, I thought that I would just uh, get in touch with you after seeing your videos. I thought um, that you looked like an interesting person to talk to, and uh, oh, yes. and uh, that's certainly the case. Um, uh, I, now, if people want to find your work, and if they're interested in, you know, like uh, finding out about what you, the things you have to say about all these films and stuff, uh, what's the best way that they can do that?
1: Uh, well, my website, collativelearning.com, dot gcom dot com. I'm sure you'll have that up, up as a link anyway. I will. Uh, yeah, that's the easiest way. Or just if anyone just Google's Rob Agar. A-G-E-R, you know, my stuff comes up right away, my YouTube channels, my website, uh, and so on. Uh, It's not difficult to find the stuff at all.
0: Okay. All right. Well, I'll I'll certainly point people in that direction. Um, Very interesting to speak to you, Rob. Thank you very much for coming on my podcast. Okay, Luke,
1: cheers. It's been
0: good. And um I hope that uh, Liverpool's uh, I hope it's a nice day up there. Uh how's the weather in Liverpool at the moment?
1: Yeah, it's a bit cloudy unfortunately today, but I'm in working on this new video anyway. I'm doing a study of uh, the Luke Skywalker versus the Emperor in Return of the Jedi oh, f- very underrated scenes. Oh,
0: brilliant. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. I'm a huge fan of Star Wars. Yeah, absolutely massive fan. Um, I do stand up and I've got like a whole 15 minute routine <laughs> about Star Wars because I'm the, the, the opening part of it goes, you know, my name's Luke and I was born in 1977, the same year as Star Wars. Wow. So I'm a Jedi. All right. Yeah. And um, you know, if you're not convinced then, you know, I live in France now and I was born on a Thursday and the French word for Thursday looks a bit like the word Jedi, doesn't it? So, <laughs> that's that's it. I'm a Jedi. Um, so I really look forward to seeing your your Luke Skywalker video. I've really enjoyed the ones that you did about um, the the greatest space battles in the Star Wars movie. Oh yeah, I finished that last week. I enjoyed making that. Yeah. They're they're really great. They're they're really good, and it's uh, just so refreshing to to watch someone talking about Star Wars like that in a in an intelligent way. Cheers. Uh, I'll post. I think I will post some of those onto the page for this episode on the podcast. Okay. All right, then. right.
1: Uh, don't, don't forget to send me a link uh, when you get this up and I'll, I'll put the link up on my site for my, my
0: people to look at as well. I will do that. All right. Fantastic. All right. Okay. Cheers, good luck with the videos and, um, and uh, have a good day. Yep. Yeah, you too. Okay. Bye-bye. Cheers then. Bye. So that was my conversation with Rob Ager from Collative Learning. Now, how was that for you, um, I wonder if you managed to keep up with all of it. Um, I expect it it was probably quite difficult because. Um, of a number of things. The the sound quality might have made it harder um, so that you couldn't understand every single word. If you're not familiar with, um, with uh, like, uh, Rob's accent, that might have made it more difficult. Or maybe not. Maybe you were able to follow all of it. Um, also, just the nature of the conversation, the, the fact that we were talking about films in quite a specific way, uh, in quite a lot of detail... Um, that might have made it hard. Also, if you're not familiar with all the films and all the cultural references that we were talking about, obviously that would uh, add an extra level of challenge. Um, so, anyway, let me know. Let me know what you think. Um, and um, and when I say that, I mean let me know what you think about. The, the the points that we mentioned in the conversation, but also just what did you how did you um, feel about that conversation in general? Did you understand it? Did you manage to follow it? Did you learn anything new from it? Um, let me know in the comments section. I'm, I'm very interested to hear your feedback. Um, personally, I found that to be a really interesting conversation, and I'm really really glad that I spoke to um, to Rob as an individual. I find it very interesting, and I love his work, uh, but also um, just the fact that he's uh, from Liverpool and. Uh, it was interesting to talk to a genuine scouser on the podcast. Um, and, uh, you know, I like to present these different UK accents to you. And it's, you know, a nice chance for you to get an inside view of what life is like um, um, in these different parts of the country. Um, so there you go. Now, what I should do is copy Rob, I think, because what, what Rob's done is if you if you go to his website, collativelearn- collativelearning.com, you'll see that he's got loads of content which you can download from the website. Uh, lots of his video documentaries are available free, but some of the larger projects that he's worked on are available for purchase. And I think that he does all of his work now on his website as his full-time job, and he finances it from um, from the money that he makes from his his downloads, I think. Uh, that's what I learned f- from reading his website. Um Maybe I should take a leaf out of his book and do a similar thing. It's Something I've been talking about for ages, isn't it? I think it's time I started doing that. For example, what I could do is take that conversation that you heard. Now, you might not have understood all of it. I, I wouldn't be surprised if you missed, oh, I don't know, at least 30%. You might not even know how much of it you missed. Because, you know, if you miss it, you don't know that you've missed it, do you? Anyway, what I should do probably is extract bits of language and specific bits about pronunciation and, well, vocabulary probably, Uh, extract that and turn it into um, a kind of explanation. Maybe I should produce an episode where I explain everything in terms of the language and teach it to you and repeat it so that you can practice the pronunciation and create like a PDF downloaded downloadable worksheet that you could use to learn all of the vocabulary and stuff that um, uh, you heard in the in the episode and that way you could really I mean it's it's like the perfect way really I think of teaching English because it would be like learning using authentic conversations as the source of the English that you learn. you know and I think there's probably no better way of doing it than that. So I really need to pull my socks up and turn over a new leaf, check out the idioms. I need to pull up my socks and turn over a new leaf and actually start to produce downloadable content, like premium content for learning. I've been thinking about it and talking about it for ages. Luke's English Podcast Study Packs. Yeah, I'm going to get round to it eventually. I'm I'm sure I will. Um, So anyway, that's the end of the episode. Thank you very much for listening uh, to my conversation with Rob Ager from CollativeLearning.com. And let me know what your thoughts are Um, about anything that you heard in that episode. All right, then, that's the end of the the episode then now, and I'll speak to you again soon. But for now, it's just time to say goodbye. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk.
1: luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
0: If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.